0: Hello, thank you for tuning in to a special edition of Chronicle Headlines. I'm your host, Paige Barnes. This week, I'll give you a roundup of the top stories from past episodes. From CTA construction updates, to a selfie museum, to making week updates, I've got you covered. Don't go anywhere. This week is Making Week, a period where no classes take place and no assignments are due, but many students say they're still hustling just as hard. Here's what some students are doing with their time off.
1: Since this whole semester, I've been focusing and working hard on
0: making my collection.
2: I've pretty much just been doing a ton of homework, catching up on my finals, and then also working on some projects for Manifest. This week I'm spending my time putting in more hours for work um, and also meeting with some of my classmates to discuss some of our projects. I'm basically just working on any projects or finals that I can to get a head start before my classes next week. I actually had to attend one of my classes because we are presenting our portfolios, but I'm taking Maker's Week as a
0: time to work on my portfolio and finalize any last minute changes
1: to my website. I am catching up on homework and taking a well-deserved break this week. So it's been pretty chill for me. I've uh, just been resting, and yeah, it's been fun.
0: The decision to replace spring break with Making Week didn't go down without a fight. Take a listen to my interview with co-editor-in-chief Brooklyn Kiyoso to learn about what students and faculty had to say about the decision they were included in.
3: I talked to Diana Valera, who is the president of Columbia's Part-Time Faculty Union, or CFAC, and... She understood the decision by the college um, because they do want to keep students and Columbia community members safe, but she was pretty disappointed that CFAC, once again, as she said, wasn't consulted on a major decision by the college um, and that she learned about it, as did a few other instructors via email, just like students did. And I also talked to Sean Johnson Andrews, who is the president of the Faculty Senate at Columbia. He said they were told about the decision, but they were not consulted or asked to give input about what they thought, and the decision might have been different if they were. Again, he understood the decision, but he wished that the Faculty Senate was part of the decision-making process.
0: That leads me to my next question, is that you talked to the Senior Associate Provost Nathan Backham, what did he say the rationale was for implementing Making Week?
3: He said there are a few things went into this. So first and foremost, he said it was to keep students, faculty, staff at Columbia safe. There was a thought that if they did have a spring break, students might leave campus, come back, and then if they test positive for the coronavirus, they might need to quarantine, which is especially difficult because if they live in residence halls, Columbia doesn't have the means to quarantine that many students. They did think about, because they did think about the mental health of students and the need for a spring break, so they thought about implementing random non-instruction days throughout the semester, but they decided against that because some courses at Columbia don't run the full um, 16-week semester, so it would Mess with those courses, and it would basically take like a week away from a course that's already not very long.
0: And I'm sure that it wasn't Backham himself who made this decision for the college. Who else did he say was a part of the decision-making process?
3: He said um, they talked to the assessment task force, which includes representatives from student affairs, the office of the president, strategic communications. And he also talked to other offices across campus, talked to the president's cabinet, the office of the registrar, and also several department chairs um, were part of the decision, although he didn't tell me the names of the specific department chairs involved.
0: In terms of other colleges and universities, how are they handling their spring break? Are they canceled? Are they postponed?
3: A couple colleges have canceled spring break. Um, The University of Kansas. I learned recently um, when I was doing this, canceled spring break, which is my undergraduate alma mater. Um, They canceled for a similar reason, the safety of the campus. But there are other colleges like Northwestern University that have kept their spring break. Um, And they also have a making week, which they call a reading week, the week before finals week. So they have both because they do want to give their students that reading week or making week Um, to work on their final projects, but they also want to have a mid-semester break. And Harvard University, does a similar thing.
0: Not only as a student myself, like I'm unhappy about not having a break. I'm feeling burned out. How are instructors handling the lack of a spring break?
3: Pretty much every instructor I talked to said something very similar. Um, They feel the same way as their students. They would love to have a break. Um, And it's really all about, at this point, communication between students and instructors. They all said, if my students are feeling burnt out, and they really can't do it. I just really want them to tell me and talk to me about it because I'm not going to know if you don't tell me about it, but I totally understand. And it goes the same. I talked to a few graduate student instructors, specifically that teach writing rhetoric too, um, because not only are they instructors, but they're also students. They're doing both. They're juggling both of these things. And they were all very disappointed in this decision because they see both ends of it. They're, they're a student themselves that need a break and they're teaching other students. That they can see really need a break and are feeling very burnt out at this point.
0: Lastly, I just want to know, like, assuming the pandemic is you know under control in the coming years, will Making Week be here to stay?
3: Bakum said he that would have to be an ongoing discussion because if they decided to keep Making Week and bring Spring bake spring break back, which is the plan. They would have to extend the academic calendar, which would kind of mess with the scheduling at Columbia because of J-term and also summer courses. So it would be a big shift in the academic calendar. So it's a conversation that would be ongoing, he said.
0: Make sure to read co-editor-in-chief Brooklyn kiosa's article at columbiacronicle.com for the full story. be the worst news you could hear on your way to work. Train delays in Chicago are only going to get worse for some living along the Red and Purple Lines. On May 16th, the first two phases of major station and track reconstruction begin. This will happen between Lawrence and Brynmore stations. Take a listen to my interview with staff reporter Anna Busalaki about the project.
2: The Red and Purple Line Modernization Project uh, includes The building of a bypass bridge for the Brown Line, which will go northwest of the Belmont Station and carry uh, Brown Line trains over the Red and Purple Line tracks. So this will uh, create faster service. And this will be for Kimball-bound Brown Line trains. The reconstruction that actually broke ground this spring is uh, the Lawrence through Bryn Mawr. Track and station reconstruction. Um, so that includes uh, the stations Lawrence, Argyle, Berwyn and Brynmar, Mawr um, and then the tracks um, all the way throughout those stations that will be um, demolished and rebuilt two at a time so that they will still be running traffic on the other two tracks during that time.
0: That is a lot of construction. I'm wondering, when did it start and when is it expected to finish?
2: The building of the bypass bridge started in uh, 2018 and should be uh, expected to finish in winter of 2021. And the, um, as I said before, the Lawrence through Bryn Maw reconstruction started this spring and is projected to finish in 2024. Uh, but all of the planning for this uh, began back all the way in 2009.
0: I look forward to when construction is finally over. That's always painful to go through. And then that makes me wonder why is this significant? Like, why now are they doing this?
2: I spoke to Tammy Chase, the communications director of the RPM project, and she told me that the Red Line carries about 70 million passengers prior to the pandemic. So it's their busiest line, carries the most passengers, and it runs 24 7. And certain parts of this uh, Red Line are 100 years old or older. Uh, So they're in definitely um, levels of deterioration and in need of reconstruction. The sources that
0: you talked to, what did they say specifically how they are being affected by the modernization?
2: I was able to talk to a couple students who commute to their classes downtown and to work. One of them said that it's it's given... Her some delays where she has to leave a half hour earlier. And some of the businesses that I talked to, one of them said they weren't really impacted. Uh, flour Bakery, they said that they did have an alley closure, uh, which is expected with this kind of construction, but they were still able to get their deliveries in and out. And I also spoke to Demira Restaurant, and they said that... Uh, the CTA has been in really good communication with them regarding what's going on and how it's going to affect their business. Um, And she's, the owner of that business said that currently they're just doing electrical work. It hasn't really gotten into heavy demolition yet. And she is a little concerned how that will impact um, the the foot traffic for her business.
0: I can only imagine what the CTA construction is going to do just because a lot of those places, like that's how I get around and get to businesses along the lines. So what is the CTA doing to help them?
2: For the small businesses, they're, uh, they launched the RPM Open for Business program, which is Um, free promotional and advertising efforts from the CTA for these businesses that will be affected um, and businesses have to apply on their website and be accepted to be um, into this program. And it will also include social media promotion. And aside from uh, helping small businesses in terms of Uh, riders. They'll be directed through signage um, to hopefully uh, clear up any confusion. And there will be, with the station closures, the Lawrence and Berwyn stations will be closed for uh, four years during this time, which is really a lot for riders that rely on those stations. So uh, they will be able to connect to the nearest stations uh, by the number 36 Broadway bus. And those are all accessible to those with mobility issues.
0: One of the small businesses that you talked to, Q Ideas, questioned the Argyle station um, is like, why now is it being improved? And so I'm sure that's the sentiments of not just um, Q Ideas, but what specifically did it say about the construction?
2: One of the owners of Q Ideas was really confused because uh, they said there's a, a really large elderly population there and their station has never had an elevator before. There's a lot of ethnic grocery stores there and and people with their groceries don't have an elevator um, when they use the train. So it's it's been something that she said should have been there a long time ago. And she feels that it's it's it's. Being there now because their their neighborhood is being more invested in now that they have this new uh, big apartment building where the rent is really really expensive, and uh, she feels that it's it's kind of like a a why now is it just because we are starting to have these uh, additional like higher rent uh, apartments and things that. Is that why the government now wants to invest in us? Is that why the CTA wants to invest in this neighborhood? So uh, she hopes that they commit to um, actually improving the line during this.
0: Speaking of investment and costs, what is the total cost of, or could you break down the cost of the um, red-purple modernization plan?
2: The total cost is... $2.1 $2.1 billion, and it's funded by both federal and local funding. So $957 million of that is coming from federal core capacity funds, uh, which is from the Federal Transit Administration, and $125 million, uh, is coming from congestion, mitigation, and air quality improvement from a federal grant that Chicago um from the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning uh, that Chicago received and then $622 million um, in tax increment bin- financing or TIF funds are coming from the city of Chicago and the remaining uh, amount is from other CTA financing bonds. Wow. That
0: is a lot of money. And I expected it too, just because they are redoing all of the lines. And you know, honestly, I just hope that the holiday train in future years won't be too affected by it. You can read Anna's full article at Columbia com. It's not too late to start looking for summer and fall housing in Chicago. Let's face it, living on your own can be challenging, especially when you're first starting out. From finding and screening buildings, signing a lease, and paying for utilities, we've all been there. And there. Take a listen to senior reporter Mateusz Janik as he shares a few helpful tips you want to know to make living on your own a great experience.
4: When you're looking for an apartment, especially in Chicago, some factors you should consider. Well, I guess a big factor you should consider first are bed bugs. Now, bed bug infestation in apartment buildings is pretty, you know, it's pretty common in Chicago, and you should really check into like some records or at least ask some neighbors or people who live in the building you're looking at. You know, has there been issues with bed bugs in the past and sort of things like that. But I guess some other factors to consider is where you want to live, what neighborhood you want to live in, obviously. You want to live in maybe some of the more, I guess you could call them trendier neighborhoods like Logan Square or Wicker Park. You know, if you want to be close to all the action or maybe just close to all the shops, maybe you want to be somewhere near Lakeview or Streeterville. But also, we're students. So take that into consideration when you're looking for apartments. And, you know, really there are options in, you know, West Garfield Park, Garfield Park in general. You look at the South Side and South Shore even in Bronzeville or even parts of Hyde Park and Washington Park also. You know, there's some pretty cool townhouses or two to three-story flats out there for people to look at. But, you know, outside of just what neighborhood or what kind of apartment, uh, another factor to consider is price. Like, you know, if you're going to be living in Streeterville or Lakeview or Wicker Park or Logan Square, you might be paying more for rent, specifically Logan Square. I know that right now with the Lincoln Yards expansion and stuff like that, surrounding you know that neighborhood in general you're gonna find higher rent prices higher property value you're gonna find you know, not the most modest rent prices per month.
0: You mentioned cost, which I think is super important, where, you know, you have to balance being able to afford rent, but also get what you want, which I would argue I would want in unit washing and drying, which I realize is quite a luxury in Chicago. So I'm yeah. wondering how much is rent on average in Chicago?
4: It kind of fluctuates a little. But right now, with recent reports from uh, specifically from apartmentlist.com, uh, they've you know seen that in Chicago amongst other cities, uh, rent prices aren't that high. Honestly, rent prices in Chicago for a one-bedroom apartment kind of go for I want to say a thousand one hundred and thirty dollars or thirty-one dollars to be exact. If you're that you know exact with stuff, but you know even for a two-bedroom, it's twelve hundred dollars or one thousand two hundred forty-seven according to that report. But Really prices aren't that high. I mean, compared to somewhere like San Francisco where prices may be like two thousand four hundred dollars or New York where it might still be stuck at sixteen hundred, you know, Chicago's in a good place right now where if you wanna stay in the city and if your plans either during school or after school, you know, because some of us are graduating, to you know, stay in the city, you know, Chicago's looking more of an not bad of an option, maybe.
0: We talked about price now to the basic of just finding a place in general. What resources are out there to help someone start looking?
4: So yeah, some resources or some basics to use to help start looking for apartments are websites like Domu or Hopheads, specifically uh, Jay Cochierge, uh from Urbanized Chicago. Uh, when he was talking with me for the article itself, he mentioned those two websites specifically. Uh, because Domu, uh, the first one, that one it kind of categorizes everything. So if you're someone who's looking for something very specific, like let's say, like you said, in apartment laundry, you want both dryer and washer, and you want to have access to maybe a balcony or maybe have pets in there, you could really get specific with that kind of stuff on the website and really kind of like bring it down to like your needs and what you sort of need. And in hot pads, that's an also a website you could use, but I think the benefit with that one is it verifies landlords specifically in Chicago. And just to go back to Domu, Domu itself is, you know, founded in Chicago. So they have a lot of more independent landlords or other people you might not find on, you know, apartments.com or Zillow or any of those other websites. But, you know, if you're just looking or starting to look, definitely use anything and everything. You'll find listings on probably multiple sites for the same apartment. You know, If you find a place that you like, take that address or take the, you know, I think that's a building code, but just take the address and go on some other websites to check, you know, what are they listing? Is this person real? You know, maybe it's just someone screwing with you just to put up posts because they want to get a quick buck off of you or say they're a real real estate agent and, you know, charge you for a credit check charge and then you don't hear back from them. Stuff like that. So you know, it's always good to cover your bases, but, you know, those two websites are kind of good launching or good starting points for people to start looking for places.
0: I couldn't imagine being catfished by a house. Like, we hear about, you know, dating and catfish, but like, you know, apartment searching and being catfished. Terrible. Your source, Jay Coziars, what was his argument or thoughts on searching for an apartment based off of just the looks and the photos online?
1: Well, what Jay kind of said is, Always try to go in person. You know, I think it may be difficult for some students who may be looking from out of state. You know, obviously if you're in another state right now and you can't come to look at places or you can't be physically in the apartment to check it out yourself, that may be a whole another issue for you. But there's some other places. You know, if you're here in Chicago and you're looking for a place and you're maybe wanting to like check it out or walk around in the neighborhood itself. His advice is just to go out there and check it out. You know, if you're not comfortable with going inside the building, maybe just taking a walk around the building could help you get a better perspective of whether or not you want to live there or not. Because I think what people need to realize, too, is that you're not just living in your apartment. You're also living in that neighborhood. And to figure out if you're a good fit for that neighborhood, you sometimes just kind of have to you know, get a feel for it. Maybe... Take a stroll, take a walk, you know, take 30 minutes or an hour just to, you know, check things out and see if you're okay with it.
0: Thank you very much, Matus, for joining me. You can read his full article at ColumbiaChronicle.com. Should an artist's abusive or harmful actions be excused for the sake of viewers' enjoyment of their work? Can one have an aesthetic opinion about a piece of artwork and other feelings about the artist themselves? Should the entire cast and crew who also worked on the project be punished for the artist's actions? These are some of the questions curator Madison Pope raises in Does the Art Excuse the Accused Exhibition by the Hocken Gallery? I got a chance to speak with Pope, a 2020 art history alum, and the rest of the Hogan Gallery developers about the exhibit.
5: Everyone knows Picasso, right? He's been upheld as this genius, this creative genius. Like, his work is so great, and it is. He is very innovative, but people are taking a second look at him because, you know, he paints a lot of portraits of the women that he was with. Very well-known, but not really talked about in the museum setting you know, on the walls, at least, I want the audience to also reconsider maybe the way they look at these artists now. Should we really be um, holding up these people on a pedestal like this, like, you know, and promoting that kind of lifestyle, maybe? I don't know.
0: The Hogan Gallery is managed by students in the Gallery Management Practicum. Bob Lanford, the course's instructor, says it's a unique class because with each semester, students must pass on the torch to incoming students to complete the exhibit idea.
2: It was kind of like if you walked into a new job, you need to you know right, like you walk into a new publication, you gotta figure out where it's at, pick it up, and go for it. Each team tries to prepare as much as they can to turn it over to the next team.
0: Pope's classmate, a 2020 photography alum, Madison Cox, says one of the hardest parts about putting together the installation was shifting through legitimate allegations while listening to potential victims.
3: We didn't want to slander anyone. Like if things were alleged, we made sure we said, this is alleged. He or she may have done this, they may have not. Like we're not trying to spread gossip. We're not trying to spread rumors. But these are things that people have said or come forward. We're still trying to like listen to voices of potential victims, but we're also trying to like sift through what could be tabloids, TNZ, just kind of gossip rumors.
5: You
0: can see Does the Art Excuse the Accused at 754 South Wabash Avenue on the first floor of the Student Center through May 16th. Make sure to read my full story at ColumbiaChronicle.com. But first, let me take a selfie at this selfie playground. Magic Selfies, a pop-up at 1143 South Delano Court, is the ultimate place to snap the perfect selfie. With 17 different set designs, including a money wall and life-size unicorn, it's ready for the summer with a whole new array of summer-themed backdrops. Take a listen to my interview with Magic Selfies owner and creative director, Jaja Casanova.
5: Basically, let me start off. Ways I was such a fan girl for the Ice Cream Museum, and I was just like, "Wow, like it's really dope what she did." I'm like, "But I know that I don't have millions of dollars to create something so big." So I was like, "What if I just like shrink it down?" You know what I'm saying? What if I create something where, you know, I can basically build out these rooms and do basically selfie, selfie stuff so people can like take dope selfies. Fast forward to this. Um, basically, it was just like I saw that you know there was an avenue for this. You know what I'm saying, and I knew that I do set designing, and usually a lot of like selfie museums they commission people to do it, but I did all 15 rooms by myself. What was your favorite to design to concept? My favorite concept to design, honestly, would be. I have two, actually. Actually, I actually have three. <laughs> I love the money room because I'm all about manifestation, and every time people come here, they just feel so rich. And I love seeing like them throwing up the money, putting it in their pocket, and just like acting like, like just just manifesting. They don't even know that they're manifesting this. Like they're manifesting that in their life. So, um, seeing them do that, I love that one. My other room is the one with the pink LED light. I love that one just because it's just, I don't know, it's cool. And I love the whole basketball room slash like yellow gated room. So mm-hmm. how
0: have you been opening this um, along with COVID-19
5: protocol? Mm-hmm. So that's been like super important to us. The main thing for us is keeping down how many people can come in. Um, We like to keep everybody spaced apart, which is actually works with this type of setup, setup because everything is kind of over six feet apart. So you're never in the same room with anybody unless they're your people. That's good for that. Um, We always make sure that anytime when they get the um, tripods, we clean the tripods off, we clean the remotes off. Um, I also made sure to have 30 minutes um, within, um, after each session until the next session so that I can have, so I can clean up, disinfect, um, you know, high touching point areas.
0: For, I'm sure a lot of people, do they have to wear masks? How does that
5: Yeah. So mask is super important to us when you're walking, um, throughout the areas, when you're inside your actual, you know, if you're taking a picture, obviously, you know, you can take off your mask, but we're very, like, we make sure that you have your mask on when you're walking around and we also oh another thing that we do is we take temperature checks at the door and we make sure to get hand sanitizers as well
0: and one of the last things i want to touch on is um as a woman and a person of color mm-hmm. do you,
5: how do you see like your your goal how this is manifested itself mm-hmm. how do you see that play into your work i've literally done everything by myself um mm-hmm. you know i have three daughters and you know i'm going to be 35 in two weeks just seeing how far I've come sometimes. I don't even think that I noticed it. I never really get the time to like sit back and be like, yo, like I really did this. Like I am, I am half black, I am, I am half Hispanic. I am a woman, I do have kids. Like there's so much stigma that should be like upon me, but it's like, I never let that ever get in between like what my dreams and my fantasies are. Mm -hmm. And my motive is like, I bring fantasies to life including my own and my fantasies are my dreams. I don't ever want to stop. I never want to stop like just overdoing myself because I feel like I'm my only competition. Like there's no, I never look at anybody else. Even when I'm doing this process, I try to stay offline as much as I can so that I don't get like um, ideas from like other places. Like I, of course you're gonna get ideas from other people. But one of my main things I always tell like people that I work with, I'm like, when you're doing something and you're building, Just try to stay off of anything that can swift your mind from what you really want to do.
0: Magic Selfies is open Wednesday through Thursday, 12 to 8.30 p.m., Friday and Saturday, noon to 10 p.m., and Sunday, 12 to 8.30 p.m. Tickets are $25 for adults during the week and $30 during the weekend. Guests must have a reservation in advance. You can go to magicselfies.com for more details. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more at ColumbiaChronicle.com. For additional coverage, we are at CC Chronicle on Instagram and Twitter. Chronicle Headlines is made possible by a collaboration with the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX FM, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of Suzanne McBride, Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College, Chicago. Until next time, I'm your host, Paige Barnes.